Hi, and welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I explore the behind the scenes of how people do what they do and where final products come from and how they get to market. I talk to guests about their habits, lessons learned, managing relationships and family life with personal growth and overcoming adversity. This episode's guest is Amber Tam. Amber is a horticulturist and farmer based in New York. She's worked as a migrant farmer and has done a lot of work in just getting to understand herself and the relationship between the land and the food that we eat. I do wanna let you know that there are some sensitive topics and potentially upsetting topics. Well, definitely upsetting topics that we discuss on this podcast. So quick content warning, there is discussion of domestic violence on this episode. So I just wanna give you a heads up so that does not catch you off guard. And if it's something that you don't wanna hear about, it just only feels right to give listeners a heads up. If you would like to support this podcast, you can subscribe, rate, review. You hear it from all podcasters and we don't ask that because we enjoy asking the same question. We ask because it really does help with sponsorships and it helps with the algorithm of the platforms that host podcasts. You can also support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast where you can literally support it. And you can use promo codes for apps and services that I love and live by. First off, Hotel Tonight is a excellent app for booking hotels. I'm a huge fan, I've used it for years. You can use LCOOK61 on your first booking to save. They have gorgeous hotels around the world, an excellent point system, and in-app concierge. Another service that I love and use regularly is Soothe. Soothe brings massages into your home or wherever you may be. Your masseuse will bring the massage table and whatever oils or lotions. They also usually bring a Bluetooth speaker to play music. It's great and is a great way to relax at home versus going somewhere and then having to deal with traffic or whatever on the way there and back. I'm an avid user of this. I have their monthly subscription and I highly recommend it to everyone in my life. You can use code LZLRZ to save on your first Soothe booking. I also highly recommend using Instacart. Instacart is an excellent way for you to get groceries delivered to your home. You can use LCOOK5142 at checkout to save money on your first grocery delivery. I love this, especially I uh, take the bus a lot to get groceries. And so if you get something like toilet paper that takes an entire arm and then God forbid you want to get melons with the other arm and then you can only get a watermelon and toilet paper and it's much easier with Instacart. I've saved hundreds of hours off my shopping and you're able to get delivery similar to Amazon Prime just uh, outside of the Amazon brand. So I usually get delivery from PCC in Washington or Lassen's or Mother's in Southern California. You can select local grocers wherever you are or order from Whole Foods if that's what makes your heart sing. If you're an active listener of this podcast, please join the Facebook group. If you look up hashtag BTS podcast guests and listeners, or maybe it's listeners and guests, you can find us there. You can also find BTS podcast across social platforms. Let us know what you would like to hear, who you'd like to hear from, and what some of your favorite parts of episodes are. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoy Amber and my conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and please do share this on social media. Hey, welcome to Hashtag BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and today I have on Amber Tam. She is a horticulturist and farmer and uh, based here in New York because today I'm in New York. Hi, Amber. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am in a very reflective state, so I'm glad we're here. Me too. So 
I would love because uh, horticulture and farming, mm-hmm. I think that those are like terms that people sort of get an idea of what they mean. Like, mm-hmm. you know, food is made. Um, can you explain like what each is a little bit and like what the difference is between the two? <laughs> um, I think, I don't know, maybe the best, the best way for me to talk about it would be telling you how those things came about. But in short terms, farmer is someone who produces food for a large amount of people and horticulture is more of like the art of plants but more ornamental style mm. that could be more linked into landscaping right um, more linked into flowers mm-hmm. um, farming is more of producing a large amount of something to mm-hmm. give to the masses to intake mm. horticulture's looking at enjoying in that kind of space and sense right that's a good i think differentiation because i think we I think, in a way, I sort of knew that, that horticulture is more of, like, the growing part of things and, like, the tending to, and then farming is, like, more of a... um, It's about yield. Right, exactly. Horticulture, like, a horticulturalist is sincerely just someone who knows about plants and, like, Mm. different types of plants. So a horticulturalist can know about kale, but a horticulturalist Mm -hmm. also knows about, you know, like, the flowering corpse plant. Oh, interesting. You know, like, there's a a wide span. Like, botany? Pretty much. Okay. Now, if you ask me what the difference between a botanist is and a horticulturalist, I'm not entirely sure. That's all right. People can Google it. <laughs> if they're really curious, no y'all can figure it out because that's not what our goal like is today. A botanist is more scientific-based. A botanist does sound very much like somebody who studies and doesn't do. A horticulturist yeah. sounds like a doer. Right. Um, it's like the difference between being like a clinical researcher and then right. a psychologist. Exactly. Like different ball games, but same sort of. Yes, sport exactly. Um, so in that, you know, you're in you're based out of Brooklyn, correct? I am based in New York City, but New I'm York from City. Brooklyn. You're from so Brooklyn. So I rep Brooklyn very hard. Okay, good for you. As you should. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyone from Brooklyn who's like I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Right, exactly. Like, Everybody's I'm like really, I'm really. from from Brooklyn. Nobody's like, oh yeah, I'm from this place. You know what I mean? No one's like scratching their neck and looking around when they say they're from Brooklyn. <laughs> right. Everyone I know from Brooklyn is like, no, I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> where where? We can we have an ego for I sure. I love it. You should. <laughs> as you should. Why wouldn't it's, you? It's kind of pretentious. I've also never met anyone from Brooklyn that I didn't get along with. Like oh. or at least like respect and enjoy the, you know what I mean? We're the best people. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Don't tell LA I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you go about um, farming in a major metropolitan area like New York? Like where does that like where do you even start off with something like that? Well, I don't, I don't know if you went through my post, but there's one post in particular where I talk about the day that I learned that I wanted to be a farmer when mm-hmm. I was in third grade. And in short, that story is just like I was going to school in Coney Island and I was being jumped every day due to colorism, you know, mm-hmm. being a light-skinned black girl growing up in the projects and that just being almost like a target symbol at me. And... Eventually, I had a safety transfer because I ended up almost choking this girl to death. God. Yeah. So my, my family was pretty motivated, like, we have to get her out. And I ended up going to this school in Greenwich Village in Lower Manhattan that was called the Hippie School. Mm-hmm. And it completely, <laughs> completely changed my life. Clearly, I mean, that's a pretty I would 180 not, turn. 
I would not be who I am today if I had not gone there. And it was Which is a true testament though to like nature versus nurture. Like when people Absolutely. It's like that's not Absolutely. Yeah. I was able to fully be myself in that environment. Like I walked into a school where everyone was singing Beatles songs and like I didn't grow up listening to oh, the no, Beatles precious. at all, but so I was really what able to hear to? the lyrics from an outsider mm. perspective at the age of seven. I was like, what is this place? Right. And it was there on my first day where they were sharing summer photos. And I'll never forget, there was one girl who shared her family's farm. And I just remember being baffled. Like, what do you mean? Like, what? Like, I just remember the confusion of, like a farm, your family, you're holding this thing that was growing. Like I just, I, I just remember having quantum questions at one time, and that was when I knew. And I remember going home to tell my parents, and they were like, "Oh, this school is already working on her. Right, Sorry. she's already changed. She's yeah. better." Um, so for me, well, I'm glad they saw it as better, you know, because oh, some parents yeah. don't see that when their kids are having a different lived experience. Yeah. So it, that is wonderful that they viewed that. I mean, it was comical, though. I don't think oh, they sure. took me serious, especially, like, my family being black. It was like, what is, like, that's, that's great. But, like, what? Like, it, it was, like, it was, like, better, but, like, comical. Like, right. she doesn't know about farming history yet, so we'll let her. Right. You know? Right. So for me, that's how it started. That was the seed. And as I got older, I knew that was still something I wanted to do, but I didn't say it. Mm-hmm. By the time I had graduated high school, I had declared I wanted to be a humanitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is still, that's right. That, not, that's, not that was the cover different. up. Yeah, that was the co- But everyone was like, great. But if I would have been like, I want to be a farmer, everyone would have been like, no. That's right. never going to make you money. But like, if I'm like, I want to be a humanitarian and work for UNICEF which is going to third world countries to grow food and help them. Right. It, it comes off different. It comes which off is more. fascinating that it is more socially acceptable to go somewhere else. Absolutely. And help other people. And then the idea of sticking in your own community and improving that. Yeah. People are like, oh, you're crazy. Oh, absolutely. Which is heartbreaking. Like, where's I the optimism? I say all the time, only in America have I... What I feel is this experience where people will tell you to stop farming. Mm. Like the amount of people that have been like, all right, Amber, this has been a little nice little thing in your life. Are you ready to like find your career? Which is, I'm like, what do you think I should be doing? You know, like, what what would you have me do? Because let me, if teaching seems noble, that's great. But then I'm stuck in a school system and also not making any money. Fair enough. Right. And no control. Because if you're a farmer also, you do have some say to a degree. Absolutely. Because you're essentially in a service industry. Like in the same way that like a hairstylist can make more money if they charge more or offer different services. Like you have that autonomy. Well, the, it's and what experience. You do. It's experience based over science. Mm. Science based. Well, then that actually leads me to like, how do you make money as a farmer? Okay, let me answer your first question. Okay, so the sorry. First one, no, the first one is so I say I say all of that. I say to that I knew I wanted to be a farmer. I called it being a humanitarian, and what I found when I got back to New York City when I wanted to farm here is that. They were telling me all of these agricultural nonprofit, urban farming nonprofits in the city. When I would apply for jobs, they would tell me I have no experience, and that's mm. a given. You know, I'd be right. like, 
Yes, because I'm from Brooklyn. But I know that if you taught me, I have enough interest to at least keep this going to end the season. Right. Like, I can guarantee you I can finish out a season. And at that point in time, I'll be able to decide if I want to continue. Yeah. But they wouldn't give me any any pathways. And that's due to, like, gentrification happening mm-hmm. big time. So there's people that come here who are coming from the Midwest. They're coming from gardening families in New England or coming from the South. Mm-hmm. And they all have experience in agriculture. So they're able to come here and get an agricultural nonprofit job right. with ease. Yeah. But the people that are from New York City, who all, all they know is New York City, and they want to provide food for their community, and they know the community are not being offered the jobs because we don't have enough seasonal experience. Wow. So for me, my pathway was I had to leave New York City and basically be a migrant farmer for two years, two and a half years, to get enough credibility under my belt to even apply mm-hmm. to an urban farmer nonprofit or an agricultural nonprofit here. Right. So that's what that's exactly what urban farming looks like or farming in New York City, which mm-hmm. is you work for an urban ag nonprofit of some sort. Right. Also known as teaching farms. Mm-hmm. In New York City, I mean, this is just me throwing out what I know. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't say that I understand the full scope of the urban ag community in New York, but it doesn't seem like there's a full operational commercial production farm happening in New mm. York City. Mm-hmm. It seems like. New York City has to rely on grants because it's so expensive right? to, to move forward in, in the operation itself, to even have it. And is that because, and I'm just totally spitballing here, but is that because the, the like produce that's yielded from the farming done here can't compete with the prices from large farms. Is that why? Like, where's the disconnect in terms of... Because presumably it's also being sold, right? Like, there is some sort of, like... Yeah, and and that's supposed to lower the carbon footprint to make things better. Right. But the problem, then, is that you have urban urban ag nonprofits that are receiving grants, right, to have their their production run, to have their farm running, to be Mm -hmm. able to pay their staff. So if we go to market, if I'm part of an urban ag and I go to market... In my eyes, in my opinion, it's not fair to even be there when our whole operation is running on grants and this is extra money in our pocket. When every other farmer has driven from up in the Hudson Valley down into the farm, down into the farmer's market, and the only income they have is coming straight from the consumer. So that's, that's where things get a little rocky. And most of the time in farm communities, Urban Ag isn't revered as a way to get people food it's Mm -hmm. more so revered as a way to teach people about how food is grown right um which is so important absolutely which is why it's like teaching teaching farms but most of the food that is coming from the farms Mm -hmm. from what i've seen it's not making it to the people Mm -hmm. and that's mainly because a part of it is people don't know what to do with it yeah a part of it's because people are used to being able to go to the supermarket, you know, and I don't say that condescendingly. Right, yeah. It's it's a lot easier to just go to the supermarket and get everything. Well, and at, at some point in life also, like in uh, history, there was a reason we made supermarkets, yeah. right? And it was like, certainly it is um, just part of being a community. Like when you think yes. about like hundreds of years ago, Absolutely. or maybe not even that long ago, that like, 
instead of growing your own, you, you would grow something and then other people, and it's, whether it becomes a barter, which buying things is still like a, an exchange of some sort, right? You're just bartering money yes. for food instead yes. of like a different type of food for yeah, food. Exactly. Um, so there is like, it's not that going to a grocery store is bad. It's that like our lack of understanding where food comes from and the options that yes. we have, especially in a city are bad. And like yeah. the carbon footprint of, um, and not only the carbon footprint, but um, so in preparation for this, I've listened to a few different podcasts with different farmers mm -hmm. And there was a just information that I remember hearing as a kid, and then I'd forgotten about it. It came back to me, which is that when you're not getting new, like everything that's picked from far away has mm -hmm. less nutrients because the nutrients come in the last, like in the ripening part when it's Absolutely. on the plant. Yep. And so then, of course, as a consumer, you're getting these fruits that are and vegetables that are supposed to be nutrient dense, but then mm -hmm. they're not, mm -hmm. and it's um. Did you watch that Jeff Bridges? Is Jeff Bridges that documentary, like A Seat at the Table, I think is what it is. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. get all the way through it, but yeah. I feel like that shed a lot of light on, um, in like more of a easy to digest way than like reading through a paper. Absolutely. Know, yeah. On um, the way that like, you know, start, it was basically like the reason that like starvation and obesity can happen in the same person. And it's because they're not getting foods that are nutrient dense. Right. And so then, you know, you're overeating in other departments of whatever's cheap and easy, like chips or whatever that may right. be. Because that's the title of food security, right? Right. right. Which is calories, not nutrients. Right. Which right. is like this insane so lie that we've been told. Absolutely. Like. But beyond 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 the carbon footprint, because things get tricky there when mm. we start only focusing on carbon footprint. And I've seen this with New York City where we've been focusing so much on nutrient-dense foods and lowering carbon footprint that now we love the idea of hydroponic farming mm. or, you know, uh, anything like square roots or farm one Yeah, where they're growing things in like dark spaces and like, yes, it's less water and it's nutrient dense. But the problem with that is that it's not building topsoil. And like, that's one of the biggest things that needs to be done now. If mm. we're going to talk about feeding a large amount of people in the future is building that topsoil back and only traditional farming or not even traditional we have to turn it around so only really regenerative farming and what it's becoming every day and indigenous practices and permaculture which is indigenous practices right. can lead to that rebuilding so that's where with cities the the term nutrient dense is really tricky interesting is yeah there becomes so much of a focus on us as a consumer getting what we need but we're still not honoring the earth Right. It's still not, it's, it's fat. So my, um, my dad teaches, uh, like MBA courses mm -hmm. and I, what I, one thing that I respect about how he raised me and then also just how he teaches is that, um, he teaches economics from the perspective of the environment is still part of our economy. Yes. Like it's not something. Yes. And he shared with me this like fascinating and horrifying, like, uh, not it's not even statistics. It's just like there's evidence from captains' logs from way back in the day yeah. um, that around the world, when they were bringing ships in, that the water was so full of fish that they would have to like like the ships would get stopped by the density of the fish in the water, which like makes wow. my stomach turn. Wow. <laughs> right. Talk about abundance. Right. Ooh. Yeah. And then you know, and then we had commercial fishing, and we had runoff and like all these things and yeah. now you're hard pressed if you're you know on a near the ocean 
like you try going to the ocean finding a fish in, it's in the u.s like it's hard yeah godspeed yeah. like absolutely so um and can you explain a little bit because i don't want i uh have like a loose understanding of the importance of topsoil can you explain a little bit um to listeners like why that's important um and sort of like what some of those terms around um building quality topsoil are yeah i you know i'm gonna say that i'm not saying anything different than what anyone else has said it's incredible i i say this all the time like i'm not i'm literally just regurgitating what has spoken to me and given it to people and for some reason they like to listen to me so i'm grateful but i'm not gonna put it in scientific terms i'm not gonna even make it fancy or dress it up topsoil has been here and it was here and it was 12 feet under us mm-hmm. and it is now maybe two inches wow and it's what it's 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 what holds the roots together it's what holds the water it's mm-hmm. it's everything that you need to have good produce mm-hmm. it's what the worms love it's what the bugs love it's what the trees love it's it's what everybody everywhere loves us included we just don't know Right. But everyone else knows. Yeah. Every other being can plant knows that. And that's that's in simplest terms. I'm not going to even that's try perfect. to. That's perfect. No, that's, I think that that is the best way to explain it because it is, you know, I mean, for anyone listening, if you don't remember, like, roll in your memory bank, roll back to, like, when you learned how plants grow and you Absolutely. saw those sort of diorama drawings yeah. where it was like, there's worms and there's air pockets and, and then there's you all see these the things. layers of the soil. Right. Yeah. And that's. And that's what it is. And so what do you, from your perspective, what can, um, you know, because I think if you're in some, if you're somewhere like San Francisco, Seattle, LA, New York, you may have, there's um, options. There's options. Um, I think question number one is, um, what are some of those options? Because, you know, not everyone in any of those cities knows about those. Well, I think what's happening in cities is there's, there's, seems like businesses that are forming to collect compost right. which can then provide to urban farms or possibly even be be shipped somewhere to mm-hmm. a farm of some sort um to help them rebuild their topsoil mm-hmm. um i know in new york city grow nyc does free compost pickup you just have to bring the compost to them oh, and like you cool. can look that up on their website and they're posted around the city like yeah. specifically probably blocks away from each one yeah there's like a person there who just is going to hold a bag open for you to throw your compost in. Wow. Um, but there's there's businesses farming for that. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, the only thing I can say is if you're buying produce at a farmer's market, which I would strongly encourage at this point, you might want to inquire with your farmer. And I don't mean that in a intrusive way. Mm-hmm. I mean that in a way of like, you know, your farmer should be growing a high diversity of things. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, your farmer should be able to say, this is how, uh, I, yes, I compost. Yes, I add turkey manure, horse manure, whatever the case may be to yeah. the ground. So just inquiring with your farmer what their practices are. And so those inquiries are, are like, what sort of crops do you grow? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. just so that people know what types of questions to ask? Absolutely. It should be high diversity, mm-hmm. and they should be letting you know what makes them organic, what makes them regenerative. Mm-hmm. And really, if it's a regenerative or organic farmer, they should have all of the propaganda around yeah, them telling they, you. Yeah, because that's why wouldn't what, they? Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal at this point. Totally. Um but yeah, just just inquiring and like really 
not feeling awkward about wanting to know the growing practices of your food when right. you can. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I think it, it is fascinating how we're very comfortable, and I think a lot of it has to do with we're comfortable asking certain questions because we um, may feel more educated or purposeful in asking them, right? Like, people aren't as shy anymore about asking, is this gluten-free right. or is this keto right. or whatever? Mm -hmm. Why would you not ask the same? And I understand there's also that human element, right, of like this maybe the person whose business it is and you don't want to offend someone right. versus when you're asking at a restaurant, is this gluten-free? Right. But that waiter doesn't care. You know what I mean? No. The, the waiter's not like that, personally involved in that, in that question in the same way. If it's a good farmer, they'll want to tell you. Right. That's really good context. And I think if, if I'm thinking about me standing at a farmer's market as a owner of a farm operation, having that type of question would help me recognize what I have to put out. Right. Which should already be available to the consumer to read, right. to gather information from. Yeah. And so even just in asking, that's helping the farmer do just that. And see value in that. Yeah. Like, I've um, one fascinating thing, I, I worked on a project that was sort of showing, it was showing, like, um, I worked with uh, Evolution Fresh for a little bit, the juice company. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the most fascinating things I learned about that was that a lot of organic farmers were being um, disincentivized essentially because you know um, their produce wasn't beautiful right. because it's organic right. and that what Evolution Fresh would do is go and buy all of the ugliest because it's getting put in juice, right? right? Like, so it does help because, and also the average customer doesn't know. So even like with imperfect produce, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's like a beautiful or perfect or whatever business model. However, it is educating consumers that like a weird looking carrot isn't a bad carrot. That's just how carrots look. Yeah, but also educating consumers on the capitalism of, of produce. Right. Which is a whole thing that needs to be spoken about. Because totally. once you start speaking about that, you'll get to the root of what is really happening with this mm -hmm. food system in terms of how, how do we get to a point where... If we're talking hunting gatherers and nothing was perfect, everything was small and seedy. Yes. And now we're here today and everything is seedless and beautiful. Ugh. It's like yes. not when when we're talking imperfect produce, that's the perfect segue into talking about what's really happening. Right. Overall Why is system. our watermelon this way? Why are right. bananas this way? Right. Why are apples enormous in the size of like my fist instead Absolutely. of like you know, the yeah. normal apple size. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because, I mean, I am very lucky. My my grandmother's from Colombia. When she moved here and they, like, settled into a house, what she did to feel more at home was she planted all of the produce that made her feel at home. Right. So I grew up with guava trees and figs mm -hmm. and cherry moyas and loquats mm -hmm. and just this abundance of fruit in the backyard. So mm -hmm. I never had any sort of – that was very normal to me. And my dad and I would – because um, he lived with my grandparents for a while when I was a kid. And we would do these challenges sometimes if my grandparents were traveling of like, let's just see if we can live off the land for this weekend and we'll basically only eat things from the yard, yeah. which is really cool. Like that as a kid cool. to go like, oh, I mean, certainly I had no vegetables all weekend. <laughs> you know, I basically lived off like pomegranates and yeah. persimmons and like didn't have a green in my system. Right. But like uh, I would venture to say most of America survives off more useless foods you know, Absolutely. on a regular basis, Absolutely. that like a diet of fruit for two days isn't going to kill a kid. You know what I mean? It's, it'll just 
you're right. gonna have a sugar crash at the end. That's what's gonna happen. You might be a little grouchy on Monday. It's true. <laughs> it's that's that's true. Um, so that that was a very I think I didn't even realize how impactful that was for me until I got older and I would mm-hmm. see friends. And, and friends that really surprised me because they're smart people be, like, horrified at the idea of picking a fruit off a tree and eating right. it. And, like, thought it was dirty. And I was like... It's a real thing. No, do you know it's dirty? I was like that myself. Fr- really? Yeah. And so, so I guess one of my questions, too, is, like, what kinds of things can people are sort of... Because I think for things to change, people also, you know, we're lazy. Yeah. Baby steps are yeah. important. Um, what kind of things do you feel like people can grow at home to like that's sort of just like more approachable, you know, hmm. to help their own like purchasing and things? I honestly, I think even before the growing aspect got there, I really think people need to educate themselves right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think we're really, we're really in for it. Yeah, I, I can't express that enough. Yeah. So at at this point, it's like I can I can say all of the things that are true mm-hmm. and right in terms of go to your you know local farmers market, have an herb box, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. volunteer at your community garden. But what I'm recognizing as I'm moving forward in this is it's much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And so I what I really want to get at is for people to understand that. Plant-based diet cannot save the world. Right. No. So, like, let's just get rid of that myth right now. Mm-hmm. I think people need to really focus on monocultures and learn what that is. I won't even go into it. Okay. I will say that monocultures are, I mean, if we're talking about world economies, because that's how we need to start thinking. It's right. beyond America yeah. at this point. I mean, what, what is it? I think 60% of the world's pork comes from China. Right. But I mean, a lot of the world's grain comes from us. Right. Totally. And where farmers are being told to grow surpluses intentionally to be sent to third world countries, which destroys their agriculture economy itself, because they'll get it cheaper from America. Yeah. It's more expensive for them to grow their own grain or their own vegetables because they get it cheaper from America. Meanwhile, the person who's selling the produce from America is not really being paid very well for it. It's actually underpaid. So that's fascinating. What, it's it's bigger than than mm-hmm. it's really about educating on a real level and really understanding the harsh realities of the food that we're eating. Yeah. Which will promote what I've learned is that will promote us to actually taking time mm-hmm. to be intentional about growing something in our space. And our own consumer choices. Yes. You know, because I think, um, like, I've even really focused in the last year or two on just less, you know, and going, like, we, we as um, animals, like, don't actually need that much food to get through the day. No. So, like... And this is, and this is, I'm surely, um, potentially like controversial in terms of like, because I would never want this to be confused with any sort of like eating, eating disorder, disorder right? or like body dysmorphia or body shaming or any of that. Yeah. But truly we have also been fed this lie that we need thousands of calories That's every true. day. That's true. And even the prioritization, like we were saying before of calories is not yeah. the right focus. Not the right way to go. Right. Um, 
And, and as a kid, a lot of times I would just, you know, you're a kid. You're not, dinner is a slowdown, right? Like it's in your way. Absolutely. And I would go like all day without eating and I was running around and I was fine. You know, and, yeah. it, and then around five o'clock, like just having a busy day and being outdoors and being a kid, then, you're then I would be like, oh, I'm really hungry. And when you're a kid, your metabolism is higher, you're growing all that stuff. So I really had to take a good look in the mirror in the last few years and go like, mm-hmm. what, am I, what am I eating all Like, what am, what am I doing? And, right. But that's the question. That, right. What am I eating? Right. What am I eating? What and am like, I eating? there really doesn't need to be like, I would venture to say most people wouldn't have to. Like, the impact of if people just cut down to, like, the sort of nutrients that they actually need, yeah, that impact would be potentially larger than almost any other things our dollar could say is buying intentionally and buying less. Yeah, but also recognizing that that nutritional value is different for each person. And this is why I emphasize that a plant-based diet. Because, I mean, the amount of nutrition you can get from grass-fed beef... Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's 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 astonishing. Are you a vegetarian? I am not. No. Nor I was for a very long time. Yeah. And then um and I was probably from 11 to like 23. Mhm. And I started eating meat again because of a variety of circumstances and my cousins had this like subscription where there was like local farmer like mm-hmm. pickup sort of meat in San Francisco and I was like, "Okay, I can get behind that." Mm-hmm. It was like learning about the farming industry at an early age that made me go like yeah I'm not partaking in this fair enough yeah and that's what they put in your face for sure right and that's really your only option too when you're basically no matter where you're growing up like unless you're growing up on a commune or you're like very wealthy that's true but even in the 90s nobody was talking about that really outside of like hippies you know I put that in quotes but um and so my cousins were buying that kind of meat I started again and for the first time in years all of a sudden, I didn't like feel like I needed five coffees to get through the day. Right, and that's the re- that's the reality that I don't think a lot of vegetarians and vegans pick up. Right, is that I'm not saying that it doesn't work. Right, I'm saying if that works for you, then yes. proceed with that. But when I think about ripping a beet out of the ground and understanding that the beet is taking nutrients from the topsoil, mm-hmm. I I can't compare that to a cow by any means. You know, yeah. and all of this talk about, you know, the Amazon being burned for cows and how it's it's meat eaters fault. I, I can't even. Well, it's coffee drinkers fault, too. It's well, the thing is, it's it's agriculture's fault. Yeah. I mean, agriculture was probably the worst thing we could have ever decided to do. Mm. So and that's that's really looking at it at for what it is like it's it's spawned everything that's wrong because well, we domesticated yeah. a seed. We learned how to create a prison. That's how that goes. So really, it's like, it's not the cow's fault. It's not the person who feels good from eating a cow. It's the fact that the cow is not eating grasses. It's eating grains just like us. Yeah. And so if it's taking 60 pounds of water to grow one pound of grain, and then we're putting that on top of the water that the cow needs, then yeah, it's going to look like, oh my gosh, this carbon footprint. But if we were mm. actually just giving the cows grass that's free like and normal just cow grows, then, like what cows actually should be eating. Right. The the amount of water for quinoa, a pound of quinoa, mm. and the amount of water for a pound of cow meat would probably be similar. Fascinating. But it's it's about learning the truth. It's, mm-hmm. And that's why I'm I'm emphasizing this. How so Wow, I have so many other questions. 
<laughs> but we can, let's get back to what you do. Cause I am very on a personal level, super interested in your like, well, actually let's talk about the education part. Where, do, where have you found the most um, quality sources of education that people can go to, to learn? Oh man. Um, I think books. I think books, and if you want, I can like give you a that would list be beautiful. of books yeah. that I've really that have transformed my life completely. That would be incredible. Um, but also my experiences. I think in my time of being a migrant farmer and learning cannabis and permaculture and agricultural nonprofit farming, and then commercial farming, and then orchard farming, and you know just chicken farming, and just seeing how people are doing things. I've seen all of the wrong things happening. Mm-hmm. I have yet to be on a farm where I see someone actually doing the right thing. And by right, I mean harmonizing with the earth for yield for people. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say right. So, Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Because I think that's helpful. Uh, but this is, not, this is not to look down upon anybody who's doing traditional agriculture because right. due to... You know, having to pay land taxes, having to pay for health insurance, especially for farmers where Lyme disease is out of the roof and farmers right. are losing their hearing from being on tractors and losing fingers. It's like, I get why one would just go with continue. the system. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I've thought about it myself a million times. Yeah. But I have, I have yet to really see someone create a, a solution to all of this mm-hmm. and attempt to do it. You know, even if they fail, just attempt to do it. So with that being said, I, I really listen to visionaries, if we're speaking honestly. Like mm-hmm. Vedana Shiva is a great example. Mm-hmm. I try my best to listen to as many indigenous leaders as possible yeah. that have a lot to say pertaining to their relationships with plants and the world at large. Right. And if there's one in particular, I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head that is talking directly with farming. Mm-hmm. And doing indigenous practices, then that's what I'm going for. Yeah. But I think just, I think what I've learned is one book will lead you to so many other books. And that's how I've gone about it. It's like, I'll just read one book. And in that book, they're like listing every book that they read to create this one book. Right. And so I just followed that chain. The the references in a good book can be your best friend. Absolutely. absolutely amazing I'm reading this book by Timothy Morton right now and I'm like he's an ecologist and I'm just a huge fan of his work yeah um and like the references like from this book uh I don't even want to know how many other books I'm probably going to end up (laughs) like buying whether it be like in text or getting from the library or whatever absolutely um but it really I mean and and this book stemmed from me reading there was, um, for Bjork's album, Biophilia, mm-hmm. there was, like, a collection of sort of letters and essays, and one of them was between her and Timothy Morton, and, she, and he's helping her describe her own work and her own journey, mm-hmm. because, right, as an ecologist, that's his job. Absolutely. And he had so many good quotes and nuggets in there, and it was also <laughs> so, like, kind and human and comical, mm-hmm. you know, like, you didn't get that sense of, like, you didn't get that sense of you if you were with him that you'd have to really watch what you said. Right. You right? Like, it was not so serious. Because yeah. I think, on one hand, it's very important to, to take the way that we impact the world around us seriously. Yeah. And it's also really important to not take ourselves seriously. Well, yes. And on that note, I'll say it's not our fault. Right. I'll say this, like, we're accountable, but we're also not accountable. Thank we're the you problem, for that. We're the solution. 
we're all sides of it. Yeah, it's true. It's That's a really beautiful way of putting that because yeah. it is something that um, it's your fault. It's almost, oh my gosh, it's almost like I just, because I grew up like in, in church yeah. and it is almost biblical where it's like, it's it's almost like your fault once you're educated and you know Absolutely. better than it is your fault. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's also, it's a system and it's, it's yeah. us. It's much larger. It's one that though, we need to come together to talk about. And that's yeah. what I've been saying almost on every post I've posted recently. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. I right. have no idea because... But we need to try. There are so many people on this planet, and I really think it's because that's how many people it's going to take to turn things around. Yeah. We're going to need every single pair of hands yeah. to turn this all the way around. I mean, that's the only way that we got to turning it this direction. Absolutely. Right? Like, I look at the way, um, there's some fascinating articles I've read recently on the way that businesses have used data like consumer data to make choices, right? And what's fascinating is that you have perfect examples of companies going like like AT&T going like, oh, actually, we know that if we keep people on hold for X amount of time and we have this data on the anger tone of their voice, that like they'll give up and they'll never cancel their account. So we'll just make sure they're on hold for as long as possible. Right, right. But then on the flip side, you have other companies going, using that same data, like the same data set that they're getting from their customers mm -hmm. and going like, here's how we can solve their problems faster, right? So like with knowledge, people can really go either direction. And it yeah. is very important for us to go like, because what's fascinating to me, and it really kills me, Amber, is like, it takes just as much effort to do the wrong thing as it does the right thing. Absolutely. And it is insane to me that like, doing that making uh, money and winning financially is so closely associated with doing the wrong thing when it doesn't right. need to be right but that, that'll change that way. that'll change and food food will be the indicator because right. once we don't have access to what we've always had access to yes. people will realize that that's the real economy yeah agriculture alone can change this whole economy yeah and because it has so well, it, it's the foundation of everything right it's so with your actual work, can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit more about that, right? Like, what is, um, what are sort of, like, the, the balls that you're juggling in your world? <laughs> oh, it's very complicated. I, I've recognized that I don't talk about this enough. And uh -huh. actually, today, today, before I got here, um, Guayaki Yerba Mate, their Good News Network, or their community network, Come to Life, just dropped my interview about climate change and like the grief that I'm experiencing from it. Well, congratulations yeah. in a way. That's a weird thing to hear. Congratulations oh, on the article about your I grief. Mean, <laughs> I'm glad that we're here because it's like calming me down. Oh, but God. Thank you. It's, it's something that I've, I really had to go deeper into. I got this message from this really sweet follower and I can't even remember the name. Um, but she sent me a message and she said something like, because of you, like, I was able to show my mom that it's possible to have a career as a horticulturalist oh. and, like, a farmer, so I'm going to school for horticulture. That's beautiful. It was, but in that moment, I felt really irresponsible because mm. I think I made it look like this has been very easy and that, like, I'm just sitting on money and, like, I feed myself every day and, like, yep, plants are like In your defense, <laughs> um, I think we all know... 
Oh, there's a very loud baby crying outside. Um, maybe not outside, but <laughs> let's hope it's not just outside. <laughs> um, but in your defense, also, social media, we all know that if we were to just share how difficult our lives were, we would not yeah. have a platform to educate others, right? Because no one wants to hear that. No one's following you to hear how terrible everything yeah. is. So if you're, if you're entering the world of social as a place to educate, yeah. Certainly, you know, you're not inspiring anyone if you're like, <laughs> I cry myself to sleep every night and have three panic attacks a week, right? So, like, there is some sort of, like, gauge of, like, and you also never want to be, like, I never want to be someone who's doing sort of, like, um, what I've heard of the term thrown around, sort of, like, depression porn, right? Where yeah, you're, like, absolutely. sort of doing that and just getting... Absolutely. Not useful attention yeah. for your struggle. This child is having a struggle. Oh God. That's I know fun. that I know that late night tantrum all too well. <laughs> um, so you know, and I think certain on that same note sort of um, people have been led into uh, worse careers because other people made it look easy. Yeah. And you so know? that's what I'm trying to balance out now. That's mm. why I moved forward with come to life too talk about the the other side right because i think there needs to be and this is for me too i mean when yeah. i got into farming and and this is how i'll start by saying it i mean i got into farming because i lost my parents mm -hmm. and in that moment i mean i needed housing i needed food and i needed money and farming was the only like right quick and easy thing that i could do and i didn't have to go very far to do it yeah that could satisfy all those. that triage of like yeah. problem solving and so i went into it blindly like i didn't go into it thinking very highly of it i didn't go into it even thinking of it i went into it like this is what i these are my needs and this job can meet all their needs yeah it wasn't until i was in it that i recognized that it was for me and right. i enjoyed it and that seed had been planted <clears throat> earlier in your life you know yeah but in that moment it was it sounds like the panic button of like well yeah it was like trauma induced yeah and that's fair. I mean, how I, old were you when your parents passed? I was eighteen, so it was five wow. years ago. Yeah, five years ago, um, and it to it turned my life around. Of like, course, I, how could it not? I was like, I don't know how to be an adult. Like, I just graduated high school. No. Like, I've only been on my own for six months. Like, it was, I, I truly a rebirth. Like, yeah, one hundred percent rebirth. And so, in that moment, that's. That's how I saw farming. I had forgotten about mm. my original child inquiry towards it. Mm -hmm. But it was when I was in the greenhouse doing the work that I, I recognized that it was the safest space for me to be in. Yeah. Because there was so much alone work for me to do yes. on my first farm. So and, like, and you're being physical, which is so right. helpful. Like engaging with the with um, and like communing with like the earth in that way yeah. when you're going through trauma and also being physical and like doing something yeah is yeah healing like like you couldn't find a therapist to do a, yeah. as good of a job and it's something I knew you know it's like funny now because like all of my like aunties and cousins on Facebook will send me articles that are like there are microbes in the soil that act as antidepressants and I'm like well I knew that from right. just my experience You're like I've been grounding yeah <laughs> absolutely but they think it's a game they're like are you done doing this thing but so the first thing that I juggle is like my own personal trauma of, mm -hmm. you know, my father murdering my mother and then me putting my mother into the ground and then recognizing like, oh, of course, the next thing I'm going to do is work with the earth 
because that's how I talk to my mom. And now my mom is actually the whole mom, is actually Mama Earth. So that's, for me, I don't feel like there's anything for me to lose. Mm. And I think that's the difference is I'm not navigating a realm of, I'm trying to see if this is my career path. It's like, no, this is something I do. I don't know if it's my career path. I don't know if it's what's going to make me money. I have no idea. But what I know is that that's, that's why I did it. That's why I kept doing it. Because yeah. it was the only thing that could help me alleviate that level of trauma that I was feeling. Yeah. So that's like the first juggle I thing mean, for me. certainly uh, healthier for you than like I mean, the average Xanax taker. Absolutely. You and know, there, was, like, there was a, you know, when my family was like, what are you doing? Like, now you're going to Hawaii to like live off the grid and live in a tent. You know, I was like, also, absolutely. Yeah, I mean. Absolutely, because uh, I could yeah. be going to a back alley on the Lower East Side. Right. Like, kicking crack. And y'all would say it was justified. Like, well, yeah, she lost her parents. Right. Her father's incarcerated now. Her mom is in the ground. So, of course, this is what she's going to do. So, for me, that was that was the equivalent of that. Like, if I, yeah. I was doing an extreme thing of moving from New York City to Hawaii, and that was just as yeah. extreme as falling into any addiction. Which is like a completely reasonable emotional response to have to that. Absolutely. I mean, like, for me, it was an not? awakening of like, I, I don't I don't even get what this is supposed to do. You know, like I was right. a 4.0 student my whole career. Mm-hmm. And for what? Right. You know, I was like, what? Now I have to do all of this. Now I have to play in a funeral. Now I have to be an adult. Yeah. Now, those 4.0s don't matter. My SAT score doesn't matter. Getting into 21 scholarship, full college, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. What matters is, like, now I have to take care of myself, and I'm, and I, I, I can't do that. Yeah. For some reason, that's not connecting in my head. Because you're 18. Absolutely. You know, like, what? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I just turned 30 this year, mm-hmm. and, like, it was not until maybe two years ago that I had a moment where I th- think I went like, oh, I think my frontal lobe is finished forming. I mean, I'm starting to feel that way now. <laughs> Just closing in yeah. on all of us. But it is yeah. really, so it, it's, you know, we talk about 18 being an adult, but like. Definitely not. I can totally no, attest. We're children. I was forced. I was literally flung into yeah. adulthood. In like and a horrific a, way. Right. So then all the adults around me didn't even know what to tell me. Right, because to this day they don't know what to tell me because it's five years out and they're like, "Wow, you're like okay," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, I'm oh, I, I'm an actual whole okay, right? You know, like, but that's due to me just just following Mama Earth and being like, okay, now she wants me to move to Florida, now she wants me to move to Northern California, and just learning in about myself in each of those spaces but also learning about the earth in each of those spaces and accumulating knowledge that way so with that 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 segues perfectly into the biggest thing that i've encountered is there's two extremes that happen for me in this in this life of being a horticulturalist farmer is i don't like i said i don't have family backing so Mm -hmm. for me it's like when i go i have to be entirely sure that when I'm stepping into whatever farm, whatever job is going to secure me, but also secure my future family. Right. It's a different, it's a different walk from anybody even close to my peer group. There's no home base that doesn't exist. So the seriousness that I had in pursuing agriculture, pursuing working with plants 
it was pretty serious. Yeah. It was like, this is going to define the rest of my trajectory. Yeah. And so now that I'm like four or five years deep into it, it's like, all right, like if this doesn't work, um, I might just be working at the local Rite Aid, checking, checking people out. But Mama Earth has attested again and again that this is the path for me. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, I've, I was sent all over the U.S. And I was sent having to be there and just be there until the next thing came up. Mm-hmm. And it was not it was not easy for me. People have this idea from any social media that like I love traveling and I'm like, I don't like traveling. Well, and, also, it's not like you've been traveling with, like, the greatest of, right. like... Right, I'm like... <laughs> you're not, I'm you're really, not really traveling, I think, the way that people imagine. Like, you're not doing a van life thing. You know what I mean? No. You're not doing any of that. You're, like, in a position where I... Um, when I was 16, my dad and I were staying at this hostel, and we met this guy who uh, basically hit the panic button on his engagement and decided to, like, be a crew hand on a ship. Yeah. I thought about having that job too. He did that. (laughs) And he literally went from like, I'll never forget, I think his name was like Bradley Knox or something. And like, he was from Kentucky. And we were in Australia when we met him. And he literally had like been, and he would just get dropped off places. So he'd lived like in Tonga for a few months and was like, yeah, people are still cannibals there. Yeah. Like, they sacrificed a goat and told me they thought I was their king, like, reincarnate and, like, sacrificed a goat for me when I got, like, Whoa. and he was just like, well, I guess I'm just here until another boat comes and there's a crew hand position available, right? That's how like, it goes, yeah. And it is that life. That's how it goes. And he did that from there to Fiji and then eventually landed in Australia and he was like, well, yeah, I'm just here in Cooktown until another That's ship comes. That means, And so... How has that been for you? Because as a man, I'm, I kind of don't worry about men. Uh, right. So that's the whole other component is yeah. for me, having a home base has always been important. It's something. Yeah, I because mean, you're a human. That's why it's important. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. I mean. Anyone who says it's not important, it's because they have a home base. It's true. <laughs> they just don't know what it's like to not so have one. For those, for that two and a half years, two years that I was just moving around, I mean, Mind you, I was moving around with, like, this new trauma. So, like, for me, I kept going to a new space and experiencing a new trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, but I'm still just trying to deal with my own parents. But now I have to deal with what's in front of me now. And so that's a whole other thing that I had to juggle. But the biggest thing that I've seen is there's one extreme where there's, like, city folk. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who live in rural areas. And there's this huge divide. And with that divide comes culture and race. Mm -hmm. And so my whole mission right now is to kind of cure that, Mm -hmm. is to be like, all right, why is it, why is it that when I lived in Northern California and Mendocino, everyone up there would talk and they'd be like, oh, if the apocalypse happens, we can just uh, bomb the bridge and nobody from, you know, Oakland and San Fran would be able to get over here, which is not true at all. But there's there's this narrative of like oh city folks want to suffer so let them stay over there and like we're over here preparing for the apocalypse and we're ready for it but then there's a there's a narrative that i see here in new york city especially being here for two years Mm -hmm. being stationary in new york city again for two years after traveling for two or three that people buy into the illusion of this space and don't want anything that even feels rural Right. Unless it's like a rustic looking something. Right. So I think. Unless it's like Instagram. Right. Or it's like my barn wedding. Right. (laughs) 
And it's so I'm like, why does that extreme exist? Like yeah. when when did that narrative come come about? And like if you read the history of agriculture that was intentional, and that's where supermarkets came in. Mm-hmm. That's a big reason why supermarkets even formed. But then the cultural context is you know, with the emergence of black farmers just now popping up everywhere yeah. and like being able to have programs for people of color to come and learn in a comfortable space that has not been my trajectory at all. Mm. And I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful to see what it looks like in most places because black farmers are probably, if I was to make a guess, like 2% of farming population right now. Wow. So it's not a lot. Right. So a, the larger part of farming is very white. And yeah. so that was the trail that I was on. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Hawaii, that was the only time where it wasn't so very white. Mm-hmm. Um, but any other time, it's it's just been a very white experience. And I'll be there as a black girl, as uh-huh. a mixed-race black girl. Um, and in that, I've found that they'll be shocked when I don't have a Caribbean accent, or I'm not international, and I'm American. So I'll show up, and I'll cause trouble, because then I'll be like, you're underpaying all your workers. Right. Because I'm American and I know this. I'm not this Caribbean girl right. that's just here for the season and then I go back to the islands. Right. So wanting wanting to fuse that also. So wanting to have a place for city folks and rural folks to... Because now we need each other. In order for yeah. this agriculture economy to come up, we for, need each other. For everything Absolutely. Right now. Like it's... It is really astonishing to me the um, just sort of like dehumanizing that both parties do to each other yeah. in terms of like, and and f- certainly as an LA native, I'm guilty of it, right? Of yeah. going like, oh, I would never go to Ohio or like I something mean, like that, I've which said is the same growing up, right? Yeah. And that's that is sort of like you get this idea when if you're raised in LA or New York. That like, what's yeah. the point of the rest of this place? Right, when everything is already here. Yeah. Right. And but so, that's seeing an enemy images. And yes. right, they do the same thing. Oh, city folks, they just, they don't care about anything. Right, which, which also, like, then when it gets to the heart of the issue, it's more like, no, I, I do care. Right. Like, on a human level, I do care. Just those places aren't places I would want to live. Right. They don't have the, the things that I like Fair about enough. a place to live. But see, now things are, th- and this is why farmers are dwindling, because things are switching where everyone's going to cities. And then everyone right. who's born in the city stays in the city. And then right. everyone starts to live there. Yeah. And so city populations are increasing, but farmers are decreasing. Yeah. So something has to balance out. And that's really, it's it's really because farms should just be cities. And that's what's happening, mm. is where farms have teaching programs. They have music festivals. They have store front, roadside storefronts. It's like right. they have to now become cities because it has to draw in a crowd. Yeah. Because that's going to supplement the funding to keep the farming farm going. Right. So it's about fusing that. Because with fusing that, right, with having it look like a city or having it draw in city people for whatever reason, it's going to draw in brown people also. Right. So I think that's one of the biggest things I've had to juggle is choosing, like, at this point in my life, do I want to be in a very white space Uh farming or do I want to be in a very urban space not farming? Mm. In this urban space, I have culture. I have a city that I know or a city that I'm familiar with but I'm not doing something that I love. But in this farming space, I have farming, but I have no cultural context. Maybe Mm -hmm. I don't have Wi-Fi. I don't have my own car to get around. So Mm -hmm. it's been 
this huge extreme that I don't think needs to exist. Yeah. And for me, that's manifested in, like, this year, I was farming upstate maybe two hours away, but I was paying for my room in Harlem. So I was paying for a room that was completely empty. You couldn't sublet it or anything? Or find I mean, someone I to take your space? I could have, but uh-huh. that that's the, that's the reality yeah. for me is... As a single woman, as yeah. a single black woman, it's like I'm paying for a room that I don't live in to do what I love. And why does this exist? Right. Yeah. You know, why is why is that? Yeah. Why is that a thing? Why do you have to? Yeah. It, it is an interesting sort of dichotomy there mm-hmm. where, um, yeah, that's fascinating. And so where do you think, what it, where is your mind in terms of a solution for that? I don't, I, I honestly don't know. I think it, it, it may need to be communal living. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in my head, if, if I'm imagining, uh-huh. uh, there, there should free. be a regenerative farming program ministered by the government where urban farmers all live in the same house, mm-hmm. are given reduced rent or rent controlled living, mm-hmm. and are able to, with that, there's, there's more fluidity. If you're a farmer and your rent is lower, you're able to move a lot differently. Mm, um, right. That because you're sense. you're not that worried about food. Like, you can grow your own food. There's yeah. enough food for you to eat. And so you have the community that you can, you right. know, do the exchange of whatever. If you're growing certain things right. that other people are. Right. One thing that I've thought about, and this may seem insane, <laughs> is that um, I've always wondered why we don't do something in communities where there are people, like you're saying, who are urban farmers or farmers, whichever Mm -hmm. way you want to put it. And then if I have, if I'm living in a house, right, and Mm -hmm. I, most people, they don't really, a lot of people just have front yards, right, and backyards that aren't really doing anything. Well, that movement is happening if you're talking about people showing up to grow in other people's backyards. Yes. That's a movement that's happening. Good. For sure, I can give you a link to that. Please do. Where it's like farms, not lawns, or something like that. Right. It's a thing that's happening. It just makes a lot of sense to me. And, like, even with my grandma's yard, like, we have probably... Every year, I would venture to say at least 100 pounds more produce than we can consume. What are we supposed to do with that? There are programs. You know, like, I wish, because, like, right now, figs are in season. Yeah. My grandma has, like, buckets of figs. <laughs> but what are we going to do with buckets of figs? Like, how much jam can one lady make? And the same comes with, like, guava and there's like this guava paste that's like a colombian candy Uh but that's my grandma's 89 years old she's not gonna spend two weeks boiling things and picking (laughs) and my father wouldn't allow it you know what i mean like it's just there but there there's a movement happening where there are people that are establishing businesses from that because i would love to i would love to even just give it to somebody to sell yeah Absolutely. And they could make the money. It doesn't even... Because otherwise, it's just sitting there. And yeah, we compost. But like, how much compost do we need? Well, we need That's... I mean, we, yes, as a, as a people do. But like, bad in that. Fullerton, California, who's coming to pick up our compost? Amen. You that's know, true. like, that's the thing is, and then what? Like, where does it go? You know? Yeah. So like, we can make all this compost and like, we on our square, it's you know. good compost, too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But she's been doing it for like 30 years, at least. Bless her. You know? she, that was like, our like, bonding activity as a kid was out there, like, with the 
we would use these like sort of uh, mesh type yes. things to like shake out the compost and move the good stuff to the bad <laughs> stuff. And like the amount of times I've been yelled at to not put cantaloupe seeds in the compost because oh, they don't yeah, break no. down well. Yeah. Uh, I Girl. think I think she's like slapped my hand many times. <laughs> you can't put those. You don't understand. They're like rocks out there. That's <laughs> true. Um, so you teach classes. People, many communities have classes. How can people find, um, like, access to that sort of education in their community? Like, what do you recommend? I think there are nonprofits. If mm-hmm. you Google urban, ag- urban agriculture nonprofits, and because Google is, like, synced to, like, your area, I'm right. sure they'll come up. Mm-hmm. I'm so positive they'll come up. And what are the ones that you recommend here in New York? Um, I think Girl NYC is a good one. They okay. run... Um, they also run the Union Square Farmers Market here. Um, Brooklyn Grange is one of the, probably one of the most famous urban farms on the planet. They're, mm-hmm. they're the biggest urban farm on the planet. Um, they do a lot of things. Uh, Project Eats does a lot of good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm forgetting one. There's Harlem Grown that does a lot of um, community things in Harlem. Um, but if you go to any farmers market, I can. In New York City, or I'm sure in any yeah. other city, there's a bunch of resources available to yeah. learn, especially right now. Yeah, it is right a very, now. yeah, it's a very, um, I've noticed, I, I used to volunteer with one called um, Tilt Alliance in Seattle, mm-hmm. and it was interesting, and I definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things about them, but I volunteered there, and it was it was really cool. Like they definitely. One thing I loved is that they had programs. I'm sure a lot of um, of these like organizations have programs like this where yeah. they also teach like at risk youth like yes. not only farming but then also how to run a farmers market stand. So they have that business acumen right. of like yeah. here's how you keep books and here's you know it's yes. like setting up in that work ethic yeah. because it is um, it is fascinating. Uh, just I remember as a kid growing stuff and. So many kids now um, are doing like club soccer and like all these activities and like mm-hmm. not engaging with the ground and like understanding that. And also, what better way to get to your kids to eat vegetables than like the pride of they grew it themselves? Yeah, but I think kids are gonna do that. I think yeah. at this point, they're growing up, you know, and I talk about this all the time, but they're growing up with climate change in the news. Right. And in schools. I went into Strand the other day, and when I walked in, the first sign that I saw is climate change is real. Mm hmm. So I think for them, it they're they're gonna be totally different from any other generation. Yeah. I know this has been said about the next generation, the next generation. But it's generation. true though, because we're different than any generation. It's like, true. and I look at um like my cousins who are younger than I am, who are and you must be like part of Gen Z technically. Is that right? I don't. I don't know. I'm in between. I'm okay. a '95 baby. Oh, so okay. Yeah, I'm, you're right at like a cusp. Yeah. You're a cusp generation. Yeah. Um, and it's and I do see like a significant difference in a lot of the ways that like you know they navigate life and the way that they frame things and I yeah. think that show Euphoria was really fascinating for me to watch I don't know if you saw it but it's um basically the it's a premise of like this girl was uh, born like on nine eleven and just sort of uh, for people who were born at that time. Right. You know, in like the early aughts, right. that they grew up in a land of like prescription drugs and that it was normal for them to be on ADD meds and Xanax and stuff Absolutely. at such an early age, which is Absolutely. fascinating because that's almost, and I think we see this across culture, whether it be in food or whatever, a knee jerk reaction to people not being 
people's anxiety is not being heard for so long, right? And Absolutely. people people's um, mental illnesses going untreated, that then they went the other way of being over-treated with prescription drugs rather than, yeah. like, trauma therapy and stuff. Yeah. And so, um, and, and yeah, I think that that's fascinating. I, I see that happening in food a lot where you yeah, get, they, they like, know. this beyond meat knee-jerk reaction to meat where yeah. it's like this isn't really, you're not solving so anything. Than that. Yeah. yeah. But um, they, they know. They know right. the way the way they even talk about plants, their awareness of it. Yeah. They, you know, just even me being a babysitter and a nanny, they they have an awareness that I don't I don't think I had. I don't think anyone around right. me had. Because that we were the generation that came in with computers. So we went inside. We did go inside, but I so much of that I wonder is also like I know for sure my family couldn't have afforded a nanny. Right? right. So like the difference also in, in your socioeconomic, yeah. like the conversations, right? Like I know we moved from like, an, like a mostly like a low income neighborhood to like a middle class neighborhood. And mm-hmm. the difference in the topics even discussed in school, like within the same age range, right? Like it yeah. went from, it went from uh, gang prevention from police officers to like don't go to raves and do ecstasy, right? right. So, like, you're getting very different yeah. warning signs of life. <laughs> like, what's right. ahead of and you as a teenager? Yeah. Right, and, then, and so, um, so I think, too, it's, like, how many... We're seeing that certainly with, like, urban families and, like, people yeah. who live in a city and that it's more diverse and, like, you get a lot more cultural exposure. But then it's I think true. of suburbs, how many kids are really hearing about that, right? Because bookstores don't exist, in the suburbs but it's in it's everywhere now right yeah national geographic every other article is about food shortages right you know so i think i definitely think it does depend on the economic status but it's undeniable because it's in almost every it's it's everywhere it's it's being spoken about yeah at every i mean you have people like beyonce with like kale universe you know it's like it's it's a thing that people are speaking about you know, so I think they're aware how they're growing up in in the apocalypse. They're we're us as adults. We're looking at it like the apocalypse is about to happen. It's happening. They're already in it, so they're going to be right. equipped with solutions way faster. Yeah, they don't need any adjustment. We're we're adjusting to right looking around and really honoring like wow, this is Huge. because we yeah. were the last generation to have that. That 1940s, 1950s, mom and dad kitchen, right kind of experience, you know, like yeah, it was a little different because both of our parents were working, mm-hmm. you know. When I was in elementary school, that was the first time I saw like you know two gay dads, so it was a little different, but there was still like the idea of the family, yeah, and not thinking farther than that, right? They're gonna they're they're gonna grow up and just be equipped. They're gonna they're gonna produce solutions to, yeah. to climate change because they'll have different frameworks for things like I think about I was talking to a friend about this last night where mm-hmm. like he and I both definitely um, have chosen sort of our own paths in terms of career and like Absolutely. even our creative pursuits and like not done things by the books yet um, and we were talking about how we both have this weird thing where we get into like romantic relationships and then go to like the super sort of like here's how I'm supposed to be as a girlfriend, right? And here's how I'm supposed, like, here's what a couple looks like. Yes. And I had this epiphany a few years ago where I was like, wait, why am I so innovative in every other channel of my life? And when it comes to my love life, all of a sudden, I think I'm supposed to be this, like, other old-fashioned thing when that's not who I am. Like, Mm -hmm. I can make that how I want. If we want to be together and, like, 
not yeah. communicate all day, we can do that. If we want to, like, you know, be a couple but not live together, like, you can... I've heard recently of more and more married couples that are like, oh, yeah, we're married, we just don't live together, and we... And we're yeah. good. Like, there's no yeah. problem with that. And yeah. I was like, oh, then why am I suddenly, like, enforcing this, like, this is how I'm supposed to behave in a relationship. And I'm not well, allowed to have fun anymore. That, or that like linked to farming. Absolutely. Right. And it's Absolutely. the reason why farming is, is hard right now. Like, yeah. me, as a single black woman, I'm, I'm telling you that I've, I can recognize that in the farming community, there's this idea that it has to be a man and a woman to start mm. an operation. Mm-hmm. There has to be some level of partnership to start your business. Right. And technically, it is easier that way. Well, of course, you're sharing the... But that's how it's always been, right? And that's a part of the foundational ideology of farming itself, is that there is a family. Right, right, and it's a family farm. That's why that phrase is so common. Right, and that's why so many people had so many kids, because you had an operating farm that needed as many hands as possible. Which I think now, especially with so many innovations in technology, like when you have technology, like that's your partner, right? right? Like that becomes your partner because you no longer need to have separate people doing the books and doing all these things, right? right. You don't need Even someone to, to delivery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so it links, it's, it's sewn right in there where I, I can guarantee, like, I probably sound like a conspiracy theorist, but any of the problems that we're having today, especially the millennial group, it's linked to our food system. Well, yeah. No, a that's not percent. a conspiracy. I mean, it's literally, <laughs> if you watch any of it's, Fascinating, I would say for listeners, definitely watch the. Um, I want to say Jeff Bridges is his name. I think so. The Big Lebowski guy. <laughs> yeah. You tell me. I don't know him. His movie <laughs> Seat at the Table is fascinating. I think it sheds a lot of light on that, as well as um, what actually what are docs that you have recommended or that you feel um, like at least like give good nuggets of information to people. I don't watch that many. I'm more of a book reader. Um, I, w- I can honestly tell you that I've watched a lot of Vandana Shiva's talks on mm-hmm. YouTube, period. Okay. I think she she has a scope because she is, like, university educated, mm-hmm. and she kind of saw what Monsanto was doing when it first started happening mm. in India, and she doesn't care. Like, I'm pretty sure she's on, like, the watch list. Like a hit list the, of some kind. For the planet. You're kind because, with the watch list, because I'm like... yeah. She she's like up Who's there. Who's a conspiracy theorist now? I remember. <laughs> she's up there in terms of what she's saying. In terms of like just really calling out Monsanto yeah. and really being like, I was there to witness them planting right. the seed. Which now that you say that, I would recommend that listeners also then watch um, the True Cost, which is focused sure. on fashion, but it does bring up Monsanto in India. Um, with GMO, like genetically modified cotton. Absolutely. Um, so definitely, because that same structure is applies across soy and yes. corn and like Absolutely. So, anything else that they do. Like they, yeah. my aunt, is it my aunt or my mom or my best friend? Anyways, some women in my life that are older <laughs> than I am have told me that they remember being kids. I think it's one of my best friends. She remembers being a kid and that every Christmas Monsanto would throw this huge Christmas party for kids and like they had these huge activations at Disneyland and that they were like involved they must have been involved in like the movie industry like they really they took over like everywhere they're literally like whatever like crabgrass yeah absolutely I think lastly there I I don't remember it um but I'm sure if you just I'm a YouTube watcher yeah I realize that um 
there is a documentary I just watched about groundwater. Mm. Um, oh man! Yeah. So I would encourage, like, if you if you're in the mood, my stomach sunk again. For <laughs> some, if you're in the mood to not leave your house and have an existential crisis, watch something about groundwater and how it's you know just like people all over the planet being like, I remember when I would dig into the ground, and you would reach water. You know, and then you have like the monoculture farmers today who's like, yeah, um, I don't even know how we're going to continue this farm for the next 20 years because we're, our pump can't pump up any water that's down there. And, you know, they drop a rock into the well and like you, you don't hear it fall for such a long time. Oh my god! That'll that'll truly. I'm pulling my hair out for listeners because you all can't <laughs> see me. I'm like trying to not just rip it out of my head as we talk about this. If there's anything that should awaken like, passion... Right. For you just choosing the right thing. But I do encourage people, though, to feel impassioned and not hopeless. You know, oh, because yeah. I think, and that is something I think that, you know, that you were mentioning and what you were doing before this yeah. is that it it really does weigh on you. It feels like too much. Well, I can tell you across the board, just some of my closest friends across the U.S., there, there's a feeling of exhaustion. Yeah. Because we're, we're all doing this earth We're at capacity. On, yeah, on some level, whether that be administrative or right. actually being with the earth or photographing, whatever it takes. Yeah. But there's a there's a huge level of exhaustion. So if that's, I think it's just universal at this point that we're all exhausted, but that's due to the transition into it. Right, which is part of, you know, if you think about sort of um, like the 12 stages of grief or whatever. Absolutely. That is part of it, right? Is that you have that, yes. like we're in the mid-acceptance phase. Well, and that's that's my narrative all the time. It's mm. like I'm I've been prepped for this because I already lost my mom. I know what it's like to lose yeah. a mom. So if we're talking about Mama Earth, it's like, well, it's gonna take all of us. Yeah. You know, and that was my mom's truth too. It ha- it would it would have took all of us for her to still be here today, and that didn't happen. So I know from experience what it'll take. Mm-hmm. So. I went through my levels of hopelessness in in my farming across the U.S. Right. I went through it. So now I'm present, but I'm present saying I cannot do it alone. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Certainly. Um, so the last question that mm-hmm. I ask everybody is, um, what would you like to hear a future episode of the Behind the Scenes podcast of? Ooh. I think something about water. Okay. On any level. <gasps> That's such good news. I have a friend who works in water who I've been begging, my friend Ryan, I've been begging him to be on. This yeah, may be the something push. about water okay. is really important. But not like not like ocean. I no, feel like no. that's being covered a lot. Yeah. But just I like mean, tap sort water. Of. I don't know. Water. Yeah. Water. Agreed. It could be ocean, sure. Well, the ocean I think, um a lot of people. I think it's an easy thing to talk about because it's not as convoluted with like uh, business, you know, like it's not money wise. Right. It's a very different thing. And so there's a lot of focus on like the trash in the ocean yeah, and like the animals that inhabit the ocean and like how those ecosystems are suffering. Yeah. Um, But you're right. There isn't a lot of talk about the drinking water and like the water that we need to like make these um, sort of like, everything that we've built on top of it function to rely on this like there isn't enough talk about that um and i think a lot of that and one of the reasons i started this podcast is to talk about things like that and things about like garbage and landfills and like recycling and what happens to those because it is such a um opaque it's 
and I mean, I'm saying opaque in terms of like you can't see it, right? Like it's not see, like there's no transparency right. there because there's so much money tied up in it, and there's Absolutely. so many from politics to actual private organizations to government organizations. Um, it's just whereas the oceans like international waters, right? So right. we can point fingers and we can talk about like how terrible that is and whatever. It's a little bit, it's less nuanced in how we can talk about it. But when it comes to groundwater and our drinking water, that's something that like... It's a different bracket. Uh, Hold on a second. So it sounds like uh, her my friend whose house I'm at, her super is here to replace the sink. (laughs) So we're going to call it quits. Thank you so much for being on, Amber. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I am so excited that I got to have Amber on. We ended up speaking for at least two hours after this recording. She is incredibly lovely, and I'm happy to now call her a friend. You can find her at at Amber Tam across social media platforms. There are links to many of the things that we discussed in the description of this episode. Please dig in, follow her, show her some support, and learn a few things from her. Please also follow this podcast at at BTS the podcast across social platforms. Join the Facebook group. It is hashtag BTS podcast guests and listeners where I open up the opportunity to ask upcoming guest questions and make recommendations. A lot of times I share guest work in that as well as on Instagram. Twitter, etc. You can find me at, at Lene Cook. And please do use the promo codes for Hotel Tonight, Instacart, and Soothe that I plugged at the top of this podcast. Those are also in the description of this episode. Music is by Benjamin Batherum. Thanks for letting me use your music, Ben. I appreciate you. You can find Ben at soundcloud.com slash Thanks again for listening.